You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Our scripture reading today is from Judges 5, 1 through 24 and 31. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang, When the leaders lead in Israel, when the people volunteer, blessed be the Lord. Listen, kings, pay attention, princes, I will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord, God of Israel. Lord, when you came from Seir, when you marched from the fields of Edom, the earth trembled, the skies poured rain, and the clouds poured water. The mountains melted before the Lord, even Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the main roads were deserted because travelers kept to the side roads. Villages were deserted. They were deserted in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, a mother in Israel. Israel chose new gods. Then there was war in the city gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the leaders of Israel, with the volunteers of the people. Blessed be the Lord, who ride on white donkeys, who sit on saddle blankets, and who travel on the road. Give praise. Let them tell the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous deeds of his villagers in Israel, with the voices of the singers at the watering places. Then the Lord's people went down to the city gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and take your prisoners, son of Abinoam. Then the survivors came down to the nobles. The Lord's peoples came down to me against the warriors. Those with their roots in Amalek came from Ephraim. Benjamin came with your people after you. The leaders came down from Machir, and those who carry a martial staff came from Zebulun. The princes of Issachar were there with Deborah. Issachar was with Barak. They were under his leadership in the valley. There was great searching of heart among the clans of Reuben. Why did you sit among the sheep pens, listening to the playing of pipes for the flocks? There was great searching of heart among the clans of Reuben. Gilead remained beyond the Jordan. Dan, why did you linger at the ships? Asher remained at the seashore and stayed in his harbors. The people of Zebulun defied death, Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. Kings came and fought, then kings of Canaan fought at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo, but they did not plunder the silver. The stars fought from the heavens, the stars fought with Sisera from their paths. The river Kishon swept them away, the ancient river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul, in strength." The horse's hooves then hammered, the galloping, galloping of his stallions. Curse Miraz, says the angel of the Lord. Bitterly curse her inhabitants, for they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord with the warriors. Most blessed of women is Jael, the wife of Eber, the Canaanite. She is most blessed among tent-dwelling women. Lord, may all your enemies perish as Sisera did, but may those who love him be like the rising of the sun in its strength. And the land had peace for 40 years. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Maddie. That is not the typical Mother's Day passage, is it? Um, but I am here to proclaim that is what I'm calling all of our mothers, fathers, leaders to live their life like. This is a great story. I wonder as we begin to unpack this story and before we pray again, I want you to ask yourself this question or I want you to, to think about this question. Do you have anybody 
in your life that will sing a song of triumph like that in your life when it looks like things are bad. A person that is in your life that seems to keep drawing you out of the doom and the gloom toward the reminder of the victory in life. A reminder to hope, a reminder to live with honor and excitement. And this is the part of the story of Deborah that we're going to look at today. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, obviously, there's a lot read, and uh, I want us to pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, I join with my sisters that have prayed and asked you for your help and your grace. I join them not just praying for the women in this area and the women in Muslim countries, but I pray and I ask that you would help all of us today sing the song of Deborah, to sing and resound it with joy, no matter what is going on around us, no matter what we have put ourselves in, that we would trust that you will bring the right person or that we might be the right person in that moment to sing a song of the everlasting God. I pray that we would be singers of victory in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share a little bit about the structure of Israel that's going on at this time period. Israel had been delivered from Egypt. They had been given the law of God. They were wondering uh, forever. Uh, it seemed like to them, I'm sure, wondering when they were going to settle in the promised land. Eventually, some peacetime came. And uh, on the surface, it looked like that most of the ways that God did all that he was doing was through these men, Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses, to Joshua. And Joshua has died, and at this time, there are these 12 tribes of Israel, and the 12 tribes were separate tribes of Israel. It's not it's not entirely accurate to compare it to how we are functioning as the United States of America, but these 12 tribes did have sort of their own leaders. Think of not so much states, but huge families that would appoint a tribal leader. And these tribal leaders would govern themselves. They would govern their own tribes. It was not a democracy. It, was not a monarchy. Each tribe had their own leader, and those tribal leaders would only gather together and cons you know, to consult with one another whenever there was a crisis, whenever it seemed like what we would probably call a, a national emergency. So what we see in the book of Judges is a pattern of recurring crisis. Recurring national emergencies coming together. These tribal leaders would, would get together feeling completely hopeless. And God at this time when they would gather had most, most of the time had already anointed, declared, raised up and called a judge. A judge was a charismatic leader. What I mean by that is this was a leader who had been given 
the presence of the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide and to govern and make decisions. And here is a time of crisis. In chapters 4 and 5, what we see here is really a unique structure. Chapter 4 in the story of Deborah and her judgeship is written in prose. Kind of a, a factual like what we see all throughout the book of Judges and a lot throughout the Old Testament. Here are the facts. Here's what happened. Here's what's going on. And then chapter 5 is, and this is what Maddie read, part, she read part of this, was a song. It was a response. It was, a, uh, it was like poetry. We see this often in Scripture. We see it with Hannah. We saw it with Mary. A lot of people would see this with Deborah and say, see, the women that God's choosing seem to always want to respond with songs. But that's not fair because most of the book of Psalms was written by David. It's not just women that like to sing songs. We all like to sing songs and write and share about the glory and what God has done. But that's what's happening here. We have prose, chapter 4. We sort of have poetry in chapter 5. And so at the risk of confusing all of us, we're going to go back and forth. First, we're going to look at a lot of chapter 4 to really unpack what's going on here, what the crisis is. Why was Deborah needed? Well, look with me in chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, you don't know how to pull it up on your phone, there's a hard copy, which I still like to use, the hard copy paper uh, in front of you. You can pick that Bible up. If you don't have a Bible of your own, that's a gift to you that you can have. Take that with you. Um, but look with me in chapter 4 of the book of Judges. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 and see what's going on here. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. So the Lord sold them to King Jabin of Canaan, who resigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Heresheth of the nations. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord because... Jabin had 900 iron chariots, and he harshly oppressed them for 20 years. We see the condition here of what's going on with Israel. The reoccurring, we had peace, we did well, thank you God, now we're going to jump the fence and try to do it our own way. And so the Lord, what it says here, has sold them into hardship into the reign of a king that harassed them. Again, they did evil. Again, they were disciplined. Israel cried out to the Lord, it says in verse 3. What was it that caused them to cry out to the Lord? Why were they doing this? Was it because they realized, oh, you know what? I really miss God. Was it because they realized how fickle they were? Did they cry out because they missed the wonderful presence of just talking with God daily? And just something was kind of off. And so they missed that. They realized, okay, my bad. I need to come back to God. No, it says quite clearly 
Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord because Jabin had 900 iron chariots and he harshly oppressed them. They were like children. They're like us. Prodigal children. Children trying to sneak around the house, ignoring Choosing which laws to obey, which laws not to obey, ignoring the love, ignoring the provision, forsaking all the food and all the care and all the guidance of the parents, arrogantly defying God's plans, God's ways, God's wishes, thinking they know better, doing it my way, I want my freedom until now. Just like the prodigal story, they're now terrified by the consequences that they now see happening all around them. In chapter 5, in verses 6 and 7, we heard it in the passage that Maddie read. It says that the highways and the villages were deserted. Why were the highways and the the villages deserted? Where were the people? Well, they were harshly oppressed for 20 years. The highways and the byways and the villages were owned and controlled by Jabin. So therefore the people were sheltering in place. They were hiding in the shadows. They were scared because what loomed over them was oppression. Commerce in Israel was most likely suffering. The tribes weren't able to to trade with each other. There was no prospering going on. There was lack of freedom that was here. Terror filled the homes. They were terrified to walk out publicly because of the oppression that faced them. This was the way things were for 20 years. And let's face it, we know this feeling Not just in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with our parents and as parents. When we finally get that oh no moment, that moment as children where we say, "I, I can't fix this. I'm too far gone. That moment when what we need most, we don't have anymore. We've pushed it away. We stiff armed the one that's come to help us, that's provided for us. Where we need that strong father, that strong mother, the one we can run to, the one who can help it, help us and fix it and bring us back home. This is where they were for 20 years. Enter Deborah. Let's go back to chapter 4. We see verse 4, Deborah, a prophetess and the wife of Lapidoth was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to settle disputes. This is what judges did. They were there, tribe leaders would settle some of the disputes, but whenever things got so big, they would come to the judge. This is what happened when Moses was walking around. They would come and bring the bigger cases to him, and this is what would happen with the judges. Deborah was sitting in this position at this time. We don't know much about 
Deborah other than she was a prophetess and she was the wife of Lipideth. We don't know anything about Lipideth except that he was the husband of Deborah. But what we do know is God had already appointed her as a judge. She was serving in this role as a decision maker at this time. And verses 4 through 5 kind of sound matter-of-factly. There's not a lot of drama to it. <gasps> a woman. Ooh. It's just said, a matter-of-factly, Deborah, prophetess, was the wife of Lepidoth, and she was judging at this time. They would bring matters to her. But God spoke to her as judge and gave her the plans and the vision for the redemption of his children. She was then to go to Israel's military leader, the one who would help organize all of the army of the tribes, who had a strong history and a strong name and give him the word and the message of the Lord. And we see in verse 6 through 7 the orders that were given to this great commander. She summoned Barak, son of Abinoam from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, deploy the troops on Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the, Nath the Naphtalites and the Zebunites. Then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, his chariots and his infantry at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you, and I will hand him over to you. That's the Lord speaking to the general, this coming through Deborah to this commander. Notice she wasn't suggesting this to Barak. She was saying, she's not running it by him. Okay, meet with your team and your staff and your cabinet, make sure it's okay with everybody, and then we'll go forth. No, she summoned him. I love this. In verse 8, we see his response. So Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. This guy has a history of being the man. This guy has a history of leading the people. And he says, here's how desperate things are. Here's how the oppression is. Here's how empty the power feels in the place that he says back to Deborah, even if this is the word of God, if you don't go with me, I won't go. Her response then in verse 9, I will gladly go with you. She said, but you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take because the Lord will sell Sisera to a woman. So Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. This is not a story about gender. This is not a story about male absenteeism. I say that for two reasons. One is sort of the, the matter-of-factness of this. It's just a matter of fact. There's no real emphasis here on her being female and there are no males. I also know this because Deborah, nowhere in here, shames men for not being men. People and preachers have used this text to fit their own agenda to highlight, well, this is why God raised this woman up because all these men didn't do what they were supposed to do. 
We also know this because we don't want to read into that in the scripture because you say, well, wait a minute, Jason, uh, the commander didn't get the victory or the glory because it's going to a woman. Well, that woman she's talking about is not herself. It's this woman named J.L. that we're going to get to in a minute. And in a minute, you'll see why she should probably get some applause. But also, you may say, well, Jason, it, it, it looks like this is all about male and female and the men weren't doing this. And, and so, but it doesn't say I'm raising up a woman because the men weren't doing this. Listen, the army and the people of God are doing exactly what they recur and always do with all the judges. Not just because Deborah's the judge. They're failing in all of these. It just happens to be now Deborah has been chosen by God to be the judge. So we're not going to make this into something it's not, but we are going to highlight what God wants us to highlight here. In chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, we see the reality that war is coming. In verse 8, it says, Israel chose new gods. Then there was war within the city gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Not a single warrior among the 40,000 was ready to fight. They were unorganized, most likely unprepared. Again, probably because they didn't gather, they weren't meeting, they weren't working, they weren't ready because they were living in the shadows. They weren't able to organize. The soldiers were down. The warriors were unusable. So this is the state of what's going on here. The plan that God gives to Deborah to give to Barak is to raise up people and go to Mount Tabor and Sisera's men were going to be led to pursue them. In, cha in chapter 4, verse 15, it says that the Lord threw Sisera's army into a panic. I know you didn't come here for a history lesson, but this is all important. What would cause the leader of 900 iron chariots and many more warriors to come against a weaker foe and be thrown into a panic? Well, real briefly, we need to talk about the battle. The place in which they battled are called the waters of Megiddo. This takes place in the plain of Jezreel. This is very close to Nazareth where Jesus Christ spent most of his childhood. I've been in this area before. When I went to Israel one time, uh, or the only time, sorry, I've been to Israel. I, I wasn't, it was probably day two and whatever that, um, you know, everybody goes to Israel, has something, some sort of moment where they're like, oh, I'm glad I came here. This was one of those moments for me. And we go to visit where the story of Elijah calling down fire, Mount Carmel, the whole story where those prophets of Baal were destroyed. And we did that. And I'm like, this is neat. And this Wow, it's great. And then they led us around to the edge of on the Mount Carmel and 
the tour guide took us to the edge and, and had us look out to the plain of Jezreel. And I knew what I was looking at. And we began to hear the story that what we're looking at is the place of Megiddo. That what we're looking at, this vast plain, is what is written about in Revelations where all of the armies of good and the Lord will come and battle and win in victory against the battles of evil and vanquish. And I'm sensing this moment here. Wow, this, this is holy ground. This is some place. But even before that happens, we have this story in this place. Before Armageddon, we have this battle in Megiddo. Chapter 5, verse 19 through 22, in Deborah's song, she describes the amazing work of God. We won't reread it, but it says here that stars fought from the heavens. Stars fought with Sesera. The river of Kishon swept them away. What is happening here? In another portion in scripture, we see that God who owns the heavens flooded down the rain. And what was in the field of the plain of Jezreel were these wadis, which are like big ditches. And the ditches would fill up with this outpouring of rain. And when that would happen, they would fill up. And they, didn't, they weren't just like little ponds that you can just kind of walk through. No, they were like conduits of a rushing flood. Imagine trying to even drive a Humvee through that. All of a sudden, 900 iron chariots were useless because these wadis with flushing water were, was wiping out. So you can see why Sisera was thrown into panic. The tempestuous storm came and poured out Everyone dies. Barak is doing his job. Sisera escapes. Sisera, the bad guy, remember, escapes. And he escapes to this nice, wonderful little tent. He goes to find sanctuary and a JL is there at this tent. He's thinking, oh, I'm going to come. They're going to be hospitable to me. And JL was really nice to him. Come on in. You can see the story. We were risking not reading it because we don't have grace kids that leave. But I'll go ahead and tell you. He comes in. She gives him not just something to drink, but like milk, the finest drink. And then she puts some really good clothes on him and he settles in. He goes down to fall asleep. And you picture this like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to recover from this, but we're going to get through this. I'm going to somehow win. Uh, it's just kind of this peaceful moment come over Sisera. And then all of a sudden, Jael grabs the tent peg. Now, this is not the kind of tent peg that I put my tents up with. Those plastic things that break whenever you snap, hit them. You know, usually at night when I'm putting up my tent when I shouldn't be. And uh, no, these are tent pegs. She takes a tent peg, puts it on his temple, bam, pounds it, and nails him to the ground. In our staff meeting this week, 
I don't know what. Oh. In our staff meeting this week, we we're contemplating our history of giving out flowers to all the females here. And of course, there's three guys and one girl in the staff meeting. And we're like, what about tent pegs? <laughs> there's this temptation, like, I want our women walking out here with, yeah, tent pegs. But and no, no offense to Lauren or Ruth, I really think Ruth would have hunted me down and said, what are you doing, you know? Um, God's plan, the warriors were lacking. The general, the commander would only go with Deborah. So you had Deborah, you had Barak. And you actually only had two of the 12 tribes. The story that Maddie read in the song is a song how the other tribes said, no, thank you. Only had two tribes. So God's work here is two people with a militia, a gathering of people from two of the 12 tribes. That's sort of the highlight of what's going on here. That's the story. What I want us to look at is some specifics about Deborah. In Hebrews, we read uh, that it's, it's good for us to acknowledge heroes in the faith, not that I'm asking all the women here to be like Deborah. I, 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 I really also don't necessarily want all the women here being like JL. But just like there's people I should never try to be like because I'll just get disheartened in it. But what we're going to look at are some attributes, some things about Deborah that's heroic that we could pray, oh God, would you do this in me? The first thing is this. Notice that Deborah summons the kings and the princes. Now she's a judge, so she summons the kings and the princes. That's not what we should be in awe of. She summons the kings and the princes to praise God alone. In chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. When the leaders led in Israel, when the people volunteered, blessed be the Lord. And listen to this summons. Listen, kings. Pay attention, princes. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. How easy might it have been for Deborah to, instead of recording that, instead write down a song that said something like, well, when I approached you royalty, I could not have been more disappointed. In fact, I'm going to go straight to social media. I'm going to rant about how horribly weak you are. She could have posted all of her plans And then push the panic button saying, well, this is what God says, but these are the people we got. She could have said, because of inept leadership, our families are doomed. No, she does not berate them. She does not nag them. She does not make fun of them. She points them to the majesty and the great worth of the one who's going to win the fight. 
She praises God alone. Nor does she cower in fear of the other kings. She's not spending time talking about the other kings and princesses that are gathered together. She's not trembling at the description of 900 iron chariots. She summons the kings and princes. She calls them to order and she says, we're going to sing of God. He's good. I love that. That's one of my favorite things that we see here. But then we see as she summoned them that Deborah rises up. That's the second thing we see here. In verse 7, some translations say she's a mother in Israel. Some translations say she's the mother of Israel. The original Hebrew simply says, I, Deborah, a mother. <laughs> mother in Mother of, her actions here speak of someone who is leader, who's protector, who's guardian. So that's why we've titled today's message, The Mother of Israel. She rises up. Strong mothers who sing of the majesty of God don't shrink down. They rise up. The third thing we see of Deborah is she spoke the truth. Look with me in verse 6 through 8. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the main roads were deserted because travelers kept to the side roads. Villages were deserted, and they were deserted in Israel until I, Deborah, arose a mother in Israel. Israel chose new gods. Then there was war in the city gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. This is a, a judge. This is a leader who is speaking the truth. She was not in denial. Notice that. This is a woman who called them together, sang praises to God, and she was not in denial of how bad things were. She's not so heavily minded that she's unaware of what's going on. That's how great the song is. Because who she was singing to was greater than what's happening here. But she did call it out. This is how bad it is. Nor did she do as so many mothers and fathers, pastors might be tempted to do. She didn't dismiss the sin. She does not approach them and say, well, you're not that bad. You're my child. It's their fault. It's the teacher's fault. It's the boss's fault. It's the coach's fault. It's the, it's, the, it's the pastor's fault. It's some other person's fault. There's no blame going elsewhere. She calls out her own children. You've sinned. You're in this because of what you've done. There is no conversation that says, well, you're, you did this because they lured you into this. There's no conversation that says, you're my child, you'd never do anything wrong. They must have really messed you up. You're not succeeding because they're failing. Nope. Israel chose new gods. War came. I ask you this morning, are you willing to declare 
why things are the way that they are in your family? Are you willing to look your precious child who we want to love with you and tell them, here's, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's where you're going off track. Here's where you've stepped out. You're willing to do that about your family, about your church, about your nation? Here's where we're off track. This is what is beautiful about this judge who's rising up, speaking truth. She's not denying what's going on. She's saying this is it. So through praise to God, the judge, the judge rose up. She spoke truth while the war is coming and truth about the unreliant military at this time. But notice, the fourth thing I want us to look at is this. She loved and honored all of them anyway. Verse 9. She just says, Israel chose new guards, new gods. There are no shields or spears ready. Verse 9. My heart is with the leaders of Israel. With the volunteers of the people, blessed be the Lord. Have failed leaders ever disappointed you? Maybe. <laughs> Have pastors, husbands, fathers, mothers, caregivers failed, disappointed you? What do we usually do? When this happens, well, today it seems like what we do or what we tolerate is we give permission to go to our peers, to go to some counselors that are going to say, it's your right to blame them. It's your right to go after them. It's your right to demand that they give you reparations for how bad they've blown it. Deborah can relate to that. But notice the strength of Deborah. Notice where her song is. My heart is with them. Yeah, they failed. Yeah, things are falling. But I'm, I'm with you. With you. And then we see Deborah rallies the people with just more songs of victory. Verses 9 through 13 is the song that she sings to invite the tribes to run, rise up with her. Some did, most did not. In verses 14 through 18 is sort of the naming of the volunteers that chose to stay away. But she sang it anyway. And what I love is that in verse 18, the people of Zebulun defied death, left Ali also on the heights of the battlefield. They rose up with her. So, some final thoughts as we close out this unusual Mother's Day message. We need to remember that this story, like every story, this isn't a story about just one person. It's not a story about gender or male absenteeism or the failure of the government or the army. This is a story about God and his care and his provision and the way he wants to redeem his people. This is God's story of choosing an unlikely servant like Deborah 
like Jael. Just as he had done with the unlikely servant of Abram. The unlikely servant of Joseph and Moses and Pharaoh's daughter and Esther and Gideon, Nehemiah. All unlikely people that God chose to rise up. This is his story. A story about God not forsaking his children. It's a story of his fame, his glory, his heart. And a big part of God's story is that he cares about his children. He cares about their heart. He cares about their idol worship. As a parent, you should too. Don't dismiss this or ignore your role in your children's lives to call out idols that they worship. We should speak the truth to our children about their idols. God is more concerned about their heart than their hobbies because our hearts drive our hobbies. Speak the truth to them. Just like God speaks the truth to you. We also see as part of God's story that God wants his people living with courage and faith. Not with fear and doubt. Barak and the two tribes of Israel might not have had courage at first. But you want to be able to have people in your life that you can say to, if you go with me, I'll move forward. And that's who Deborah was. Moms, dads, your child will never say that to you in crisis in their life if they don't see in you a person of courage and faith. If you spent most of their life blaming everybody around them, not speaking truth, not singing songs of God in your home, in your car, where they're seeing it, when they are in trouble, when the world's closing in on them and the thorns are gnashing at them, they'll never come to you and say, will you pull me through? They'll go to someone else It'll break your heart. Parents, God wants us to be courageous and faithful and hope full in our homes. Our children are going to face events in their lives that they're not going to be able to pull themselves up. Begin today. By declaring, oh God, there is no other God like you. There's no one like you. Circumstances are like this, but no one's like you. You're stronger than chariots. You can bring rain. You can wipe this out. You can add this. You are God, and I want my children to see me and hear me declare that. There's a passage. I told you David wrote songs too. There's a passage in Psalm 28. Verse 6 through 8, here's the way David would describe this. He says, now I know 
that the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories from his right hand. Some take pride in chariots and others in horses. But we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. They collapsed and fall. But we rise and stand firm. What is David singing about? It's the same song that Deborah's singing about. Some trust in the power and what they see and what they know, whether it be horses, spears, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's courage, that's faith. The last thing we notice about Deborah is this, or that we could notice from this is, notice her love song. It's a song of love for God. I don't sing much out loud where people can hear me. I remember, though, holding my son and my daughter when they were at the time of the age when I got to put them to sleep. My daughter was unusually smart to know that, oh, dad's holding me and singing to me. That means He's about to put me somewhere I don't want to be. And so it usually didn't always go well. But I remember singing to them lullabies. And I didn't care what I sounded like. I was in love. I loved caring for them. When you're in love, you don't mind singing. Deborah doesn't mind singing. You don't mind singing to your kids. I wonder who are the people here that don't mind singing to God a love song in their lives. This is a song of love to God. It's a song of love to God and how he loves his people. When crisis comes your way, what is your song? What are you singing about is it a minor chord, minor key song, kind of sad? Or is it start that way, probably like Deborah's did, and crescendo into something beautiful and awesome about who God is? We don't need to marvel at Deborah. We can marvel at the God that Deborah sings to. Remember at the beginning I asked if you had someone in your life that will lead you in a song of triumph, a song of victory when you need it most because there are times when we feel defeated and bleak. Christ came to be that song for you. He is our song. As part of that gift of Christ, he gives us one another, the imperfect church that we are, as part of the gift that helps one another Sing the songs about God to God. We're not in denial of the realities of our families. We're not in denial of the realities of our nation. We're not in denial of the realities of our church. But we are going to sing. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God. And we're going to help one another. So that when you're down, you can remember that person that sang really loudly, maybe out of key, off key next to you, and you could go to them and say, I need you to pull me through. This is what sisterhood is about. 
This is why you need to come to the gathering. This is what brotherhood is about. This is what community groups are about. To be like Deborah in the lives of others, singing about the goodness and the victory of God. I want you to bow your head or you don't have to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes or whatever you got to do to just listen and think on the reality that Christ came to tell you the truth. He came to say, yes, you're, you are bad. He didn't come here to just talk about how good we are. He came to say, you are bad and you need a savior. And then he says, I have come to take all of your badness, all of the things that make you very unhappy and to say, I have died for you so that you can live with joy. I'll take all your bad and I'm gonna give you all my good. And let this be the song of victory in your life, in your family. Heavenly Father, you truly are God alone. We looked at a lot. I thank you for those who endured and listened. <laughs> but I pray now, God, that you would speak to those who don't have that song of victory right now, that you would give them that song. Give them Christ. Let them turn to you now, just like the Israelites did. May they cry out to you for help. And may they find the truth of the good news of Christ. Whether we've been 60% good parents or 20% good parents, God, you've given us a song of victory that you are God alone, not our children, not our nation, not a building, you. You are God alone, and you're going to help us. So let us sing like saved people, Lord, not just now, but in our homes as we go to bed at night. Be the song of love in our homes. And we ask this and pray this for the fame of Christ in the name.